Welcome to today's webinar, Long-Term Care Facilities, Design Dinosaurs, hosted by Stackpole and Associates and Cutler and Associates. Stackpole and Associates is a marketing, research and strategy consultancy firm focused on healthcare and senior service markets. Cutler Associates is a design-build firm with a dedicated focus in senior living construction. Before I hand over the mic to Irving, I have a few housekeeping items to cover about this presentation. First, today's webinar has been recorded and will be made available by email to all participants after the webinar for further review and sharing. All participants will be muted during the presentation. We'd love to hear from you from during today's presentation and we'll be answering all questions at the end of the session. If you have a question, please send it through the Ask a Questions tab at the bottom of your player. If we don't get to your questions during today's webinar, we'll be sure to follow up afterwards. So without further ado, I'd like to kick things off and welcome Irving. Irving, I'm just going to hand over the presentation to you now. Great. Well, thank you, Romilly. It's a pleasure to be here and thank you all for coming today. And I am uh, very uh, flattered that so many of you decided to participate in this program. Uh, we've chosen the topic today to zero in on several areas. Uh, one is to talk about in a, as constructive way as possible how during this very difficult COVID-related uh, the pandemic, that we've uncovered problems with regards to long-term care. Uh, we've, we've realized that there are barriers to making changes. We've recognized that there are some learnings. Most importantly, we want to focus on realistic next steps. Uh, my colleagues at Cutler and Associates will go through very realistic approaches to new construction, new construction, major renovations and additions, uh, selected renovations, and then we'll have uh, some Q time for Q&A. Importantly, the problem revealed in long-term care and in particular the skilled nursing environment during the COVID pandemic, the particular learning has been that the physical properties and the programs weren't up to snuff. There were significant problems even causing one author here for the New Yorker magazine publication to declare that the American nursing home was a design failure. And colleagues like uh, David Grabowski um, anticipating big, big changes coming to long-term care. And the reasons for this are pretty simple that while the population in long-term care in the United States is a fraction of 1% of the adult population overall, uh, by some calculations, as much as 42% of the deaths have occurred in congregate long-term care. So what those big, big changes are, uh, we have yet to see, but certainly uh, the subject is afoot and important for all of us. In these problems, in this domain, there are a set of issues that need to be dealt with. 
uh, the issues include the structures which we're going to be focusing on in this session, uh, but also include programs, the soft, the soft programs, the uh, systems and the uh, care uh, the programs that are in place in these structures to address the needs of the populations we're, in, we're hoping to serve. And of course, there's issues around technology and information, uh, staffing, culture and outcomes, as well as economics. But the focus of this particular program will be on the, the structures, uh, the property, the physical design, the uh, equipment, the air handling equipment that colleagues at Cutler will address so, so much more expertly than I can, have been very seriously challenged by the pandemic. Uh, the fact is that most of the nursing homes in the United States were built between 1960 and 1975. They were modeled on hospitals. And if you think about it, that means that the architects and planners who were building the nursing homes in the United States were uh, themselves born in the 1920s to 1930s. And they were designing for people who were born in the 1890s to the 19th the turn of the century. Very, very different population than what we had this time. Since then, unfortunately, there's been very little reinvestment uh, and most of the capitalization in the sector has been extracted. The money has gone elsewhere. So the result is that the pandemic ripped through nursing homes and congregate care structures in the United States, resulting in a very difficult, that's even an understatement, resulting in uh, devastation. Uh, staff and residents and their families being very deeply affected. But a crisis is a terrible thing to waste. What is it that we need now? Well, we need an array of infrastructure. We need an array of properties. We need large properties like newer college dormitories. We need medium-sized properties like purpose-built assisted livings today, uh, which by the way took market share away from skilled nursing uh, because it was a more attractive product. We need small properties because some people prefer that. Uh, if you think of um, what are referred to today as McMansions, or uh, the Golden Girls model where people uh, related or somewhat related are living together. Um, but the idea is that we need to revisit what it is our physical environments, our built environments need to be today. And that's why I'm so grateful that our colleagues from Cutler Associates have agreed to um, speak to us today. So. With no further ado, I would like to pass it along. Okay, so thanks Irving. COVID revealed issues with uh, skilled nursing facilities and the barriers to fix them are perhaps more recognized now than they've been in decades. We all know that there's an industry-wide big picture that needs to be addressed. And here are some of the things we all know are problems, as Irving mentioned, there are some possibilities, hopefully, that'll come out of uh, the pandemic. And here in Massachusetts, we were hit harder 
than most places in uh, the U.S. There are 38,000 residents in long-term care facilities out of a total overall state population of 7 million in uh, in Massachusetts. Yet the first wave of the in the first wave of the pandemic, this group accounted for 63% of the COVID-19 deaths statewide. And so Irving's uh, uh, percentages related to um, you know 42%. Massachusetts was 50% higher than that. And so this has been a, a huge, huge issues. And so in my mind, there's at least two wake up realizations that may be helpful to create change as we've looked forward. The first one is that stiffs aren't going away. And the second, with this kind of impact that's occurred, and frankly, just the sheer amount of deaths and problems, it's becoming increasingly unacceptable to ignore problems any longer by anyone whether that's within the healthcare systems or as a state or as a country. The key point to realize as we start to think about what to do and, uh, and start looking forward to change is to realize the starting point is not with our buildings, but we need to first look at the model of care that skilled nursing facility organizations want and need to provide. And many of today's nursing homes, as again, Irving mentioned, were constructed to serve a medical model of care that is now largely obsolete. The shift to person-centered care has been going on for little years, and there's an emergency community-based uh, care model that's not outlined here, that's the basis of greenhouse and small house and other uh, models like that. So the point I'm trying to make is, is that if we're going to revolutionize our skilled uh, nursing facilities, we have to start with the care and the service outcomes that we're really looking for. Next slide. But also, as we consider how to move forward, it's important to recognize the very practical and considerable barriers that we face with many of our existing buildings. And here's a description of what many of the 1960s and 70s era, era buildings are like. And let me just take one example from this list. Back then, acceptable, acceptable practice was to count on operable windows for fresh air. And you know, that doesn't work too well here in New England at this point. <laughs> and, but from an infection control standpoint, COVID exposed really how detrimental this layout is for indoor air quality. The way that older HVAC systems actually work is that air is pumped into the corridors. The resident rooms have baseboard rather than air system, but what they do have is they have a bathroom exhaust fan. And so as a result, air flows from the corridor into the resident room because the bathroom exhaust fan pulls in the air along with any contaminants from the corridor into the resident room. This setup is obviously a problem when it comes to having a virus that's spread through aerosols that hang in the air. I realized that many facilities, uh, probably of a group that we're uh, uh, talking to today, are at different places. Perhaps you've been upgraded and have different uh, systems. But thinking broadly, what we're really suggesting is that the starting point is to first consider the care model. And then the next step is to examine the barriers that are inherent in your buildings as you consider improvements. And then get very specific about both. Or to phrase it as a question, what does your organization want to do first? And then what is it about your building that stands in the way? Kevin, you're up.
Thanks, Garth. I'd like to start with the CDC hierarchy of controls. This is a systematic approach to infection control by limiting exposure to hazards. Following this hierarchy leads to the implementation of inherently safer systems. The basic concepts is that the control method at the top of the graphic are potentially more effective and provide greater protection than those at the bottom. However, they also tend to be the most difficult and expensive to implement. Engineering controls, which you will see in the center, are generally favored by controlling exposures because they are designed to remove the hazard at the source before it comes in contact with staff and residents. You will notice that PPE is only one part of the solution and is the least effective at the bottom of the graphic. Thinking about operations is critical to the success of the program. One example is a CCRC that we is uh, local to us is noted over 450 people every day access their campus and they have 85 points of entrances to their buildings. Understanding how to monitor and control access is every bit as important, if not more important, than PPE. So learnings recognized. I'd like to discuss specific COVID solutions that can be implemented on our buildings and campuses. These are areas that our clients have described as their concerns, and these concerns have informed the following solutions. Quarantine or isolation rooms are private rooms for new resident move-ins or positive tests. They include enhanced HVAC systems for staff safety by utilizing increased fresh air that Garth mentioned and other measures such as negative pressures. This issue was especially critical with regulations requiring 14-day quarantine for any new resident. Next is resident connection and visitation. This is another important concept due to the isolation that was felt by so many residents at the beginning of the pandemic. Ideally, these rooms would be adjacent to the front entrance and they would include two different entrances, one for residents and one to visitors to minimize the chance of infection. They would also include the HVAC enhancements that I had pre uh, previously mentioned with uh, quarantine rooms. Next are safer community and dining spaces. Strategies for this include the creation of smaller dining and activity spaces, which would include HVAC system upgrades. Also, by keeping residents together in smaller cl clusters, rather than have them leave the neighborhood for communal dining, to eat in communal di dining spaces, we can decrease the possibility of transmission and inf infection. Campus screening and check-in procedures. As described by my previous CCRC example, it is critical to understand who is coming and going into facilities and campuses. Various strategies here can be employed to monitor visitors, which include limiting access points to campus and remote temperature checks. However, understand that at larger communities, it, that may be more difficult and could require multiple check-in stations. Staff safety. We have all seen how important it is to keep staff safe and healthy, given the challenges that many centers face with keeping staff. PPE is, of course, the predominant element that we have seen throughout the pandemic. But we should consider how staff exit and enter the building and understand how staff overlaps at shift changes. This is especially critical due to the fact that many staff work at multiple facilities. 
Strategies here include gowning areas for PPE and places for staff to shower after their shifts. Cohorting in micro-communities, similar to small house concepts that Garth has pre previously mentioned, these have been shown to greatly reduce infection transmission. We can incorporate small communities of residents and staff to create bubbles, which help decrease the risk of infection. And finally, enhanced infection control. HVAC measures can be introduced at the micro and macro levels within our buildings and can help reduce the spread of infection. Now I'd like to expand on how we can use these HVAC systems on our projects to help with infection control and improve wellness in general. There are several broad strategies which can be implemented on new and existing buildings. We like to think of them in three buckets. First, optimize existing systems where you can, particularly if they are used for ventilation. Strategies include increased, increased ventilation and filtration, air sanitization, and humidification. Second, we use point of use systems that do not need to be implemented on a building wide scale. These concepts include adding or altering existing systems for point of use solutions, as well as negative air for quarantine and visitation rooms, for example. And just last week, we found a new solution for these types of systems, which you can contest, contact us after the presentation find out more about. And third, finally, take advantage of the opportunities when you have them. This could be a renovation, addition, or a new building. We would recommend incorporating multiple strategies depending on the project scope. And that way, we can use these opportunities to make the largest impact. Here are some examples of how we can implement these broad strategies in our buildings and projects. Increased ventilation. As Garth mentioned, the old system used operable windows, which isn't ideal or practical. New designs increase ventilation and air changes within all areas of the building, not just common spaces, but resident rooms as well. One example of this strategy would be the creation of specialized rooms, such as visitation or the private isolation rooms I previously mentioned. This could also include system pressurization, which includes creating negative pressure which would keep the air from being circulated to other parts of the building. We can also create zones within the building to help keep hazards out, going back to the CDC hierarchy of controls. This concept creates public, semi-public, and private zones within the building. Finally, new or replacement HVAC systems should include 100% outdoor air, greater air changes, and also a review and understanding of airflow and patterns within the building to eliminate cross-contamination. The greatest way to maximize the effect is to utilize several strategies to provide the most comprehensive solutions for our project developers. And now I'd like to turn it over to Laura to discuss infection control as it relates to materials and interiors. Thank you, Kevin. So when designing a space, especially in senior living and healthcare, it's important to create a space that's functional and safe as well as beautiful. So I'm gonna focus on some characteristics that provide an easier means of cleaning in these spaces. The first is durability. You wanna make sure that all of your surfaces and materials are extremely durable. You don't want anything to chip or crack. You also want fabrics and textiles to be extremely durable as well, so there are no rips or tears. Um, these imperfections can be a breeding ground for germs and bacteria. Another is cleanability. 
Um, you want your surfaces and materials to withstand hospital grade cleaning agents. And your fabrics must also be fluid and stain resistant as well as non-porous. These materials should have the ability to suppress microbial growth as well. So fabrics and wood typically hold a lot of moisture and are likely to um, support microbial growth. Metals and hard plastics are less likely to support this growth, and those are more preferred materials in these spaces. Surface porosity is another one. Um, you want to eliminate the use of cottons, nylons, and other porous substrates. Um, microorganisms have been shown to survive on these, so you want to get rid of those. Um, you also want to eliminate seams. Um, anytime you have seams, it can be a breeding ground for bacteria um, and germs. So it's important to eliminate them when possible or completely seal the seams when eliminating isn't an option. So an example of this would be um, if you're using sheet vinyl in a bathroom, you typically have a seam in your sheet vinyl. So you want to either heat weld that or chemically seal it. Um, another good practice is to flash cove that sheet vinyl up the wall to create a really impervious barrier for germs and bacteria. So in addition to creating a safe and functional space for residents and staff, it's also very important to create beautiful, aesthetically pleasing spaces as well. So I'm going to touch on um, a few design trends that I like to follow. So the first is transitional, excuse me, the first is creating an updated and fresh look. Um, so obviously we want to create a new space. We want it to follow current design trends. Um, we want to make um, the space feel new and fresh for the residents, but we also want to create this nice new space for staff as well. And this helps um, in terms of marketing um, when, you know, you're touring families through, potential residents through, and they see this brand new updated fresh space, they're going to want to live there. Another design concept is transitional design. Um, this, in a nutshell, blends traditional design with modern design. So it's a great concept for all areas um, of design, including new construction, but it's especially great for renovations and additions. It gives that space an updated and fresh look, but it also allows the space to be cohesive with the rest of the building and or the campus as well. Um, the next topic is color and lighting. So we could have a whole nother webinar on just color and lighting. There have been so many studies on color and lighting. I'm just gonna touch on a couple um, key points um, that you know, we see. So you wanna take into account the population. Um, for example, a memory care unit would have different lighting and a different color scheme compared to a traditional skilled nursing center. In all cases, it's very, very important to bring in as much natural light as possible into these spaces. Which brings me to my next point, bringing the outside in. Um, this is one of my favorite concepts. Um, you can see the in the photos on the slide. Um, we've done this in um, several different areas. So the concept is basically taking naturalistic materials and elements and incorporating them into the interior design. So you can see in these photos, there's a stone surround at the fireplace. We used a decorative wood ceiling throughout the space and organic and floral patterns on the upholstery. So this gives a sense of warmth and creates a connection to the earth. Um, the stone, the wood, 
the textiles, on the furniture, all of these elements are reminiscent of the outdoors. They create a serene and calming environment for the residents and staff. And now I'd like to turn it back to Kevin. Thanks, Laura. Now that we understand the concepts, we must ask, how do we implement what we learned? We must not waste the painful lessons that the pandemic has taught us. We start with the areas of focus that I discussed earlier, and then we will review some examples. First, we start with the new or replacement buildings. Strategies should align with each provider's priorities based on the model of care that Garth described earlier. New buildings provide the greatest opportunity to incorporate as many solutions as concepts as possible. They could include small, new, newer models, such as small house concepts, or we could incorporate these concepts into larger centers. Both can be effective if implemented properly. For example, various infection control measures can be implemented and can include things such as visitation rooms, cohorts, enhanced HVAC measures, or other infection control measures with materials. Here are some examples. One example is the small house greenhouse model. These photos are from a greenhouse project that we completed, which was a fairly typical greenhouse with 12 private rooms. However, we are also in the early planning stages of a project that is shifted from separate greenhouses to a congregate building with five neighborhoods and an administration wing, but still utilizes many of the greenhouse concepts for their model of care and their design. Some of the reasons to include small house concepts relate to, the, relate to the fact that these models have been better for crisis management due to their smaller size and populations. The rate of COVID in small house and greenhouses were less than half the rate in traditional skilled nursing centers nationwide, and their death rate was less than 30% in small house greenhouse models. Some of the reasons in include fewer staff coming and going through the building. Residents also felt less isolation due to the small community environment and they were more engaged. And lastly, if there was an exposure, the controls that are in place created a safer environment. Here's another example. We can still implement these concepts and measures in a larger design. This is a 82 bed, new skilled nursing center currently in design, which implements many of the same strategies. It includes more private rooms, which will help for quarantine and isolation, and it includes the co cohorting concept. There are two floors, each with their own common dining and activity areas. This will lim limit the number of people that are going back and forth to each neighborhood, and there are no communal dining areas, as with more traditional designs. It also includes enhanced HVAC systems, such as fresh air to all resident rooms. And each neighborhood also has its own exterior space via a garden or deck. Studies have shown that it is over 18 times safer to be outside compared with being indoors. And they have also noted how access to the exterior is very important for residents. And Laura mentioned that earlier with the concept of bringing the outside in. Our next category are major renovations and additions. 
The impact and strategies will likely depend on the size and scope of your renovations, but there are still opportunities to imp uh, implement several concepts. For example, we could still move away from communal dining areas and activity rooms and incorporate cohorting concepts. Often large projects include HVAC system upgrades or replacements, or we could include localized HVAC enhancements such as visitation or quarantine rooms. Here are some examples. This is an example of a renovation project that's currently in design. The existing, which you will see on the left, is a more traditional model. The new design on the right incorporates cohorting concepts through the creation of a small community with private rooms. It also includes larger common spaces and dining specific to this group of residents, as well as direct access to an exterior courtyard. Here's another example of a renovation project, which includes similar concepts to the prior examples. This includes cohorting, as well as access to the exterior, as well as private rooms. Another added measure includes enhanced HVAC systems through the use of increased ventilation. We have also created a visitation room off the main neighborhood lobby, which we have highlighted on the right. This allows visitors to see family members without actually entering the neighborhood. And finally, select renovations offer the smallest ability to impact major changes. However, by being strategic with these opportunities, we can still be impactful. Examples could include finish upgrades, which incorporate materials which provide better infection control, such as the ones that Laura, Laura mentioned previously. Other examples could include visitation or quarantine roomed, rooms with enhanced HVAC measures. Here are some examples of these. We have this example, we have we re excuse me, recently been hired to create visitation rooms at three facilities for one owner. The highlighted example on the left shows a visitation room adjacent to the main lobby with different access points for residents and family members, which will reduce infection. This project also includes enhanced HVAC systems to assist with reducing infection. And our final example is an existing facility where we are looking at ways to improve staff safety. This concept is to create a separate entrance for an exit for staff to minimize interaction at shift changes. You will see on the left the entrance to the facility, which leads to the uh, lounge and, and bathrooms and then to the elevator. And then the red, you will note, is the exit for staff as they leave. This example also creates an area for staff to remove PPE and shower after the completion of their shift. Now I'd like to turn it back over to Garth. Okay, thanks, Kevin. Uh, you know, obviously we could do whole seminars on some of these uh, smaller concepts, but before we open things up to get feedback, and to address questions, let me summarize some of the key points we've talked about. Uh, we first acknowledge that addressing older skilled nursing facilities requires confronting barriers. There's barriers within the industry uh, overall, and perhaps since these have been made more obvious with COVID, this will become a time of change. That's all our hopes. 
The challenge for us is for us to embrace this time rather than to shrink away from it. The place to start is not with your building, but with your care model. What is it that you're trying to do? For example, we found that facilities managers are good allies in building projects, but it's also very common for us to work with facilities staff whose vision of improvements largely consists of replacing old systems with a newer model that practically does the same thing. A wider vision is needed, and that's why as an organization looks to change, it will involve looking at programs, staff utilization, and improvements organizational-wide on top of the challenges posed by the building itself. In fact, that's where the whole process starts. We use the term areas of focus to describe services and priorities you're looking to put in place, and identified seven we've heard from clients and industry overall. And the reason why we highlighted that is that in our experience, we found that different providers honestly have different priorities in terms of what they're trying to accomplish. And so as a result of that, there's no uh, single template that fits everything. And so things like screening visitors, resident connection and visitation staff safety are gonna be priorities based on the individual provider. And that results in a different building pro program and uh, priority. Kevin shared the idea to address infection control regardless of the size of the project. We've found it helpful to look at HVAC indoor air quality in three buckets, and obviously this could be a, a seminar in its whole. The first is to op optimize what you have. That's the first step. The second is to use point of function HVAC systems in a focused reno uh, reconfiguration, uh, for instance, creating isolation rooms or uh, visitation rooms. And then when an opportunity comes up, take advantage of it. When you have a project, make sure you do the mechanical systems well. Finished material selection matters, and Laura shared five key priorities to consider on projects. Our major, major encouragement is to be strategic. Make your project count. And Irving, we're back to you. Thank you, Gath. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Laura. Uh, you have uh, covered masterfully uh, the set of challenges that the audience, many operators, owners, managers are facing with regard to their physical facilities vis-a-vis uh, -vis COVID-19. Um, we'd like now to consider questions from the audience. I'm sure there are a bunch. Uh, but I have one that I'd like to start with. I'd like to use the bully pulpit and pose my question first. Many of the operators that I, my firm works with are uh, challenged with regards to uh, staffing, challenged with regards to the age of their uh, properties, their equipment, uh, and also challenged economically. Are there a set of two or three interventions which your team uh, sees as you look across the, uh, the types of projects that you undertake. Are there a few uh, suggestions that you have that are both immediately effective and economical for this, uh, for this audience? Uh, 
I'm not sure if you want me to take that, but I can no, at least ahead, Kevin. It. So, uh, you know, I think uh, one of the ones that, that we've really focused on are the ideas of isolation rooms. Uh, it's a very, um, it's a fairly simple one. I, you know, I mentioned that we've got, uh, you know, some technologies that we've uh, been researching essentially trying to really vet. There's so many people out there that say, oh yeah, we can kill COVID. And some of them I think are, uh, some of them actually do that and some of them, you know, don't necessarily have the science to back it up. Uh, but that's definitely one because, you know, you mentioned staff and an isolation room that staff can go into because obviously you have residents that need to be cared for um, and that's going to continue uh, indefinitely. I think that's one and that's a that's one that anybody can do, whether they were doing a renovation or they were just, uh, you know, wanted to, to increase staff safety and also other resident safety because, as we noted, if they're in that facility, uh, you know, you want to make sure that you you can keep the, the other residents safe, which is obviously what happened at the beginning of the pandemic. So that's that's one I can think of, Garth and Laura. I don't know if you have any other thoughts. Yeah. I, I think that if I could add to that, I, I think before COVID, almost all of our work generally involved outside of the resident rooms. You know, the focus was to address the front door, to address the community spaces, to address the, the dining areas so that there was a pizzazz, a, an impact, boom, when you walked in. And, uh, and that was really pretty much most of the time all the people were really looking for to address. Obviously with COVID, you know, the, the realities of, of uh, you know, what is the, how, where does a resident potentially pick it up? It, it, it uh, particularly if they happen to be quarantined in their room, that it, it, it is expanded the scope of the focus uh, of the trip, uh, of the traditional skilled nursing to the entire building. And, um, and so I, I guess my quick two cents would be to first to try and identify you know, particularly with providers being way down in their census, you know, what are the critical things that we can be able to partner with them that can establish a clear message to, uh, you know, the people they're looking to attract as well as their staff and residents to enable them to be able to communicate, this is what we're doing as a result of uh, what we've experienced and, and, uh, and to be able to have a message that is able to go out whether that's an isolation room, quarantine, or other things like that, and then to establish a program that would enable them to start with a few things and then move on from there. I think we're at a point right now that the whole overall health of the facility is gonna to continue to be a, just a high level uh, issue for a long, long time. And, um, and so the, <clears throat> the paradigm of kind of let's, let's dress up the, uh, uh, you know, the interior look of the building is going to continue to be uh, the reality. You know, the buildings need to be made attractive for people coming in, but we have to realize that, that we're fundamentally about healthcare, and um, and and that's going to be key to be able to communicate a consistent message about what we're doing to keep people safe. Did you want to add something to that, Laura? Um, just to piggyback on what Garth said, um, you know, like you said before, we were focusing on areas, um, you know, those those first impression areas um, to produce a wow factor. But I mean, the reality is that 
these residents are spending time on their unit um, for the most part and a lot of them you know while we want to get them out into the common spaces they'll be in their rooms a lot of the time and they take pride and ownership in in their room um, you know that's what they have now that's where they live that's their home so it's important to um, you know take into consideration all areas of the building um, not just the wow factor areas but um, you know where the residents are going to be you know resting and sleeping and you know relaxing reading a book because um, that is their home yeah if i can add one other, uh, one other thing irving as well you know and that is i think the technology is is rapidly changing in terms of of how to deal with infection control that's airborne you know uh, probably everybody in the audience is certainly aware of of point of use uh, systems, you know, that were popular, you know, that were used quite a bit at the beginning of the pandemic. And those got moved into systems where, you know, and probably all of us have heard of bipolar ionization and things like that. But literally just this last week, uh, you know, Kevin and I came across a group that we're now engaging with and, uh, and just doing due diligence on, you know, that is another way of sanitizing air that has a pricing point, which is lower than a lot of the systems that we're at. And if anybody's interested in that, we're really just starting to vet it out. But, uh, you know, there's a, a new wave of, of stuff that's coming in this group. It, it come, they're, they're coming from the lab space. And uh, um, uh, that I think we need to continue to keep uh, attentive about and uh, uh, that are going to enable us to help um, incorporate, you know, these kind of solutions as, um, as the process continues. Um, technology is our friend here. Certainly the image that we used at the beginning of the program about nursing centers being designed dinosaurs doesn't mean that they have to remain designed dinosaurs. And in these regards, technology, uh, it, which in many regards, um, nursing centers got left behind and the advance of technology. So maybe now is an opportunity to take advantage of state-of-the-art um, applications that treat things like the air we breathe, the surfaces we touch, and even as Laura was suggesting, the colors and the light that we see. Um, I also want to observe that uh, the impact areas, as Laura was talking about and you were talking about, Garth, the curb appeal area has is has less importance now that we try to address the fear that exists in the general public toward congregate spaces congregate places and by making changes and communicating about those changes with our audiences we can demonstrate that we understand what their concerns are, and that we're addressing them in as constructive a way as possible. I see we have some questions. Can you, uh, I, can you access them, Romilly? Hello, Irving. Yes. Hi, everyone. Thank you for a great webinar. So yes, we do have some fantastic questions here, and with 15 minutes left, let's see what we can do. And if we don't get to your question in time, we'll be sure to follow up with you afterwards. So let's kick things off. Okay, the first one is, Laura, I think this one will be for you. Can you ex 
explain again what dining looked like in the new model, what a dining area would look like in the new model. What a dining area would look like? Yeah, where they um, dining area. So right now, obviously, because of COVID, we're seeing um, space restrictions and requirements. You know, tables have to be spaced apart. Um, a lot of people are using barriers and um, guards. They, um, there are many plexiglass guards that have come out um, all different shapes and sizes that people are using to separate, um, you know, tables and um, with increased testing and the vaccine coming out, I, I'm, you know, hopeful that this is going to get back to normal eventually. Um, but in terms of finishes and the look, um, you know, I think that, you know, we're going to keep moving forward with creating this really beautiful, almost hospitality look. Um, you know, it depends on the facility and the client and also the location. You know, some people want a more hospitality look, others want a more home-like look. Um, so it really just depends on the vision of the client. Um, but that's what we're here for. We, we listen to the client's dreams and goals and, you know, come up with a solution to make those happen. Thank you. So the next question is, you have a blank canvas. What is the ideal new SNF that you would build now? <laughs> well, um, I, I, I think it depends a lot on what it is that you're, you're trying to accomplish. Um, my, my view is that Certainly during this point, the, you know, either whether it's a, a larger building that's broken down into smaller, uh, small houses, uh, or, but I, I would move in the direction of smaller congregate, you know, kind of living, you know, situations, but that, that is a big issue it, that really takes basically an organization to turn itself upside down in terms of the way in which it operates and, um, and to approach things of that uh, nature. Um, you know, I think that coming, and I referenced it broadly in terms of community-based care, you know, is uh, is probably the coming wave of where uh, skilled nursing is uh, moving as a whole. Uh, uh, it is a radical change in terms of the way an organization operates, and uh, but I think that's what's coming. Um, that could be in a, in the context of a larger building. You know, Kevin mentioned the, the the group that we're with, and so it doesn't have to be a small house, you know, kind of thing. But it can be a congregate, you know, uh, a larger congregate building that's broken down into those uh, sorts of uh, of things. And, and generally, you're talking about a, a lifestyle. Uh, you know, the other thing that Kevin didn't mention, but uh, you know, the uh, one of the major catastrophes that occurred was just the absolute uh, degree of isolation that occurred, you know, and in, um, in, in skilled nursing facilities and literally the tragedy of people, um, you know, passing without having human contact, uh, particularly from family members. And so being in context where you're in smaller, you know, groups, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of advantages along those lines. And getting actually getting back, Irving, to what you mentioned earlier, you know, in terms of the messaging, you know, part of the reality, for instance, again, here in Massachusetts, you know, where we're based is uh, the current SNF infection rate is uh, far lower now uh, than the overall population. And, uh, and yet that message is not getting out. 
And uh, so, you know, organizations that uh, are aggressively looking at the, the messaging that they have and then and, uh, and trying to couple their care model to it in terms of emphasizing those things, I think are the organizations, you know, that are gonna do well. And, um, and then when they are able to make incremental changes or in, if they have the opportunity and, you know, to uh, do something broader and start from scratch, you know, you know that would be uh, an, a great opportunity to be able to, uh, you know, change the whole narrative. So I, this is a terrific answer, Garth. I, I have to reflect on the fact that it really was a, whoever asked the question, I'm sorry to say this, it was an unfair question. Uh, the, the white canvas, whiteboard, blue ocean question really has to start with one answer, who you're trying to serve and what yeah. are you trying to do? And yeah. if you're serving a Jerry Psych population that's, uh, that mm -hmm. is far along in the trajectory of their illness, uh, the course of their chronic illness, that population requires a very different space from a more ambulatory short-term rehabilitation population. So we really need to start with the population we intend to tend to serve. Now, if I could throw something else out as well, Irving, you know, the, um, um, our organization, you know, they're, uh, at least right now, when we hope it changes, you know, there's far more facilities that are looking to try and figure out what do I do with my existing buildings than are, that there are opportunities for people to be able to make changes. You know, what we're trying to do as a firm that has both design, uh, you know, with Kevin and Laura and, and their staff and, uh, and other people is to, it, we've been primarily oriented toward existing uh, buildings. And, and part of the reason for that is, is that I think the architect community, and I'm not throwing stones, but generally it's a lot easier to think if I had a whiteboard, what would I do? Then think about if I have an existing building, uh, you know, what do I do? And, um, and so we've been oriented more toward that, although we are privileged to have the opportunity to be able to work in new spaces, just because I think that's where the industry as a whole is going to go. Uh, in terms of addressing that. I, I, I think the other thing is, is that, uh, you know, that I would say, and, and, and we've talked enough between the two of us to, to know that we're kindred spirits here, you know, that, that the, the system as a whole needs to be rebuilt, you know, and if we have the opportunity to be able to, to do that, and, uh, and fortunately here, you know, we have a state organization that, that I've been uh, evolved in that is actively trying to figure out what do we do, you know, instead of waiting for the, the feds or the state to say, here's what we think you should do with your building, to instead basically start saying, let's aggressively try and figure out what are the key things we can do, and then honestly go to the, the state and say, here's the three or four things we should do, you know, with most of our buildings. To fund that would take blank, and to be and uh, and let's uh, approach that rather than waiting for the uh, uh, you know the regulatory officials to try and jam it down to provide yes. us throats and, and and usually have that guidance be misguided uh, because they don't understand the care and so uh, you know my encouragement to all of us listening you know would be to get engaged with groups you know that are looking in that direction. Related to what we can do with our, you know, with our facilities, 
you know, related to HVAC, related to the things that are directly infection control related, and then uh, and, and get in robust discussions about the sorts of things needed. And then let's put it on the table, you know, and, and, and seek to see if we can get funding, you know, and get an audience, you know, that can address some of these things so we can get where we need to be. Um, I think we need to be, as an, as an industry, leaning into that, you know, yes. um, uh, and, and not just waiting, hoping that somebody will, you know, give us a, a, a rescue. And that was really, thank you, Garth. And that was really the motivation, that is the motivation behind this webinar series, is to start these dialogues, is to start the discussions. And across the country and even internationally, we know there are things that need to occur. We can no longer kick the can down the road. There's a big pile of cans somewhere. We have to address these issues now. And to your, to your point, uh, back on one of the first slides, we know that we need a lot of different stuff, but we have to start somewhere. So um, I hope that uh, this is a good start. Do, I think we have time for another question. Yes, we do. And Kevin, this one is for you, please. Kevin, are the strategies that you were talking about just during infection crises or all the time, especially in um, visiting rooms? Uh, I think specific to the visitation rooms, that really is focused on um, specific to you know COVID and, and pandemic, just because of the idea of keeping uh, residents outside or keeping visitors outside the neighborhood. You know, normally you you know a, a visitor would come in and they'd go visit you know their loved one within the unit. Keeping them off the neighborhood, I think, is a is a really good idea, and I think it. That really sprung up uh, as a result of, you know, the pandemic, and and also, you know, uh, Garth and and others mentioned some of the regulations. You know, there was a period of time where even if you wanted to do it, the state, you know, or or you know, wouldn't even let you, you know, visit anyone even if you had done these things. So I think for the most part, uh, I think it's it's certainly something that as we move along, I think it's a good idea in, in general. Uh, but I think it, it that concept really started because of what what we were seeing. So I don't think we would have ever even thought of creating a visitation room, you know, a year ago. So yeah, and, and I think Kevin, just to add on to your comment, most of the uh, people that we're talking to, unfortunately, anticipate that we're going to have we're going to have other issues like this that are going to continue. You know, this is not going to be an issue where both we're done, you know, and we're, everything's back to normal. Because normal, normal wasn't really good anyhow. Nobody was waking up in the morning saying, yippee, I'm going to a nursing home today. Yeah. Uh, do we have time for one more question, Romilly? Yes, I think we do. And this one um, is, let's see, you can answer this one. Okay. So I believe COVID has been difficult in the SNFs due to more airborne transmission than we know today. In the zone approach for larger facilities, how do you see managing staff, visitors, and others who need to enter multiple zones on the same day? Are you confident that the zone approach can isolate potential to individual zones? Good question. That's a really good question. Uh, and it's an operations question, you know, at least I think, more than a building question. I don't know about you, Kevin. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, globally, the idea of the, the different zones, you know, one is, is 
uh, you know, that we would, again, not have cross-contamination. So if you had a, a public zone, you're not going to take the air from that public zone and you're going to put it into the semi-public or private areas. And you're, you're going to think about buildings in a different way than we've done. And, and Garth alluded to it, you know, before. Uh, the old model is you dump fresh air into the corridor and it just kind of goes where it goes. And, uh, and we, we can't think like that. We, we need to really think about where that air goes. So I, you know, I, I certainly can't say 100%, oh yeah, there's no way that air is gonna get from, you know, because if a person goes from the public area and they go all the way in, then that person is going. That being said, you, by limiting into the zone approach, you're limiting the exposure because you're that that air isn't going to get into the next zone and into the following zone. And by having cre creating that, and it's just it's just a different approach than we've really ever thought of. And and I think it I I believe it will have a, a big effect on you know HVAC systems and health. Yeah, I think the only comment that I'd make along those lines is is the reason why I responded the way I did in terms of operational is some of the person centered. Uh, care uh, concepts are things like consistent assignment, you know, where staff are consistently coming back to the same group of small group of residents. Self-directed teams, you know, is a is a similar you know person-centered thing, and so the operating model, you know, uh, if a if an organization isn't employing them, well then you know obviously a zoning isn't going to work, and uh, uh, and so. Again, I think, Kevin, this goes back to your hierarchy of care and thinking about the, you know, the, the reality of this, the building uh, relates to the care model and your organization model, and those things have to be uh, 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 symbiotic in, in terms of how uh, it works. And so when we have the opportunity to work with a client who really knows how he wants to do it, then the systems can be designed to, um, to support that. And uh, the difficulty that we're ha occurring right now is in many of our facilities, our buildings are built toward uh, staffing approaches, which nobody is doing these days. And, uh, and so everybody's fighting against their building. And, uh, and so we can just view it as, uh, as a war that you have to kind of climb either, either quickly or slowly back to kind of get the building to support uh, the approach that that's that's the mindset I think. Right. In addition to fighting against COVID, we're we find ourselves fighting against time. Our time has just about run out, and my hope is, my sincere hope is that wherever you are in the audience, uh, geographically, program-wise, facility-wise that this is really just the beginning of the discussion. This is a way to launch serious conversations about what needs to occur in the sector in order to save it so that those who need it will be able to access it. Uh, I wanna personally thank Garth, Kevin, and Laura for participating in this and for all of you for uh, attending so carefully. And please send us your questions. Those that you sent us, we will address in a follow-up. We'll post the recording of the webinar into on our websites and a transcription as well. So 
Uh, thank you guys from Cutler. Thank you all in the audience.